This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. One of my favorite quotes in The One Thing is from F.M. Alexander. People do not decide their futures. They decide their habits, and their habits decide their futures. One of the blessings of being in business with Gary Keller and you getting to listen to this podcast is you you tap into the minds of people who have just achieved extraordinary results. And I remember looking at Gary and going, wow, if people don't decide their futures, they decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. What are the habits that Gary Keller acquired that made Gary Keller? Gary Keller. When you think about your life someday from now, What do you want your spirituality to look like? How about your physical health, your personal life, your relationships, your job, your business, your finances? What would extraordinary look like in each of those areas? And if people do not decide their futures, they decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. What are the habits that you can't acquire today? That if you did acquire them, would make that future your reality? The purpose of this episode is supporting you in forming power habits that could help you achieve extraordinary results in your life. This was part of our One Thing webinar series where once a month, we have a live webinar with a best-selling author. There's no pitch. The whole idea is that we bring value to you. They are an hour long, and this episode, we took the first half of it. If you would like to hear and watch the entire thing, go to theonething.com. That's with the number one in the URL. Click on webinars, and you will see see it there. The person you're going to meet today has built a career focused on helping people create better habits, make better decisions, and live better lives. He's combined ideas from a wide range of disciplines, including biology, neuroscience, psychology, physiology, and more. His work has been covered in dozens of major media outlets, including the New York Times, Entrepreneur, Time, and on CBS This Morning. And his new book, Atomic Habits, is out on October 16th, which you can check out at atomichabits.com. With that, let's get into this conversation with James Clear. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is, Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. You've had a, an incredible career in, in this space. What inspired you to write Atomic Habits? Oh, well, thank you. I feel like I'm just getting started. So uh, hopefully I have a long career ahead of me as well. 
Habits are incredibly important. Uh, the ex- FN Alexander quote that you just shared, people do not design their lives or choose their lives, they choose their habits, and, and that leads to their, their lives and their outcomes and their results. I think that's true. And the interesting thing is that we're building habits all the time, whether you're thinking about it or not. I mean, if you are a human, you have all kinds of habits. And so the question that kind of came to my mind is, well, if we're building these things all the time anyway, and they make up such an important, large portion of our lives, is there any way that you can take control of that process and maybe design them to your liking uh, and to be the architect of your habits rather than the victim of them? And Mm. so uh, I think you can. perhaps not in every single circumstance, but certainly quite often. And the purpose of writing Atomic Habits was to come up with a system that people could employ in a variety of contexts for building good habits and breaking bad ones. Yeah. One of the things I know you talk about in the book that I absolutely loved is this idea of if you could just get 1% better every day, how that would compound remarkably over time. And in the the setting I'll leave for the people who are listening to this. If you think, for those of you who are watching or listening right now, over the last five years, how many truly life-changing positive power habits have you formed in the last five years combined? It seems like whenever we ask this question, the average is always somewhere between zero and two. And I would ask the question, is that because you try to, to form more than one habit at a time? James, what is this idea of just getting 1% better every day? Well, uh, the way that I, I mean, the common way to think about any compounding process with a financial example, so, you know, saving for retirement or compound interest, and you don't really see a whole lot. It's basically a flat line for many years, and then slowly it starts to build, and then you hit this hockey stick curve, and it, you know, really takes off. And I think that habits are sort of the compound interest of self-improvement in the same way that money can multiply and compound over time as you save it across the decades the effects of your habits multiply and compound as you go through life. So, you know, it's really easy to overlook the the choice of doing something 1% better or 1% worse on a given day. You know, like the difference between studying Spanish for 10 minutes tonight or not studying at all isn't really that much. Like you don't know the language at the end of the night either way. Um, the difference between going to the gym or not going to the gym, your body looks basically the same in the mirror. The difference between eating a burger and fries at lunch or eating a salad, the scale is basically the same at the end of the day. It's really only two or five or 10 years later that the full effect, the true outcome of your daily choices and those 1% better, 1% worse decisions becomes fully apparent. So I think it's incredibly important to understand how habits work and how to design them because they can be this double-edged sword. You know, they can either compound for you or against you. And so if you, if you know how they work and how to shape them to your, uh, to your liking, then you can avoid the dangerous half of the blade, so to speak. And it's really this idea that habits compound over time that kind of captured my attention and made me think about it more. Because once you fully understand that concept, you start to realize how important the daily choices are that you make. They, they suddenly become things that you don't want to overlook. And of course, this is exactly counter to the societal narrative, you know, because because the news and society and social media is uh, in some forms an entertainment show. It needs to it needs to show you things that have results. It needs to show you outcomes because that's what's interesting. Um, so you don't you almost never hear about the process. You know, like there isn't a story about like guy chooses to eat chicken and salad for lunch again today. The story is like <laughs> eight months later when he's lost 50 pounds. You know, like you never hear about the process. The, the story is not like entrepreneur made 11 sales calls again. 
Um, you know, the story only comes years later when it's like, oh, finally I have a million dollar business. So we're a very outcome focused society. Um, and so because of that, it's very easy to overlook the process, and the importance of those 1% changes on a daily basis. But, uh, mm-hmm. but I also think it's why habits are so important. Yeah. How many of you who are on here have found yourself wanting to go out and form multiple habits simultaneously and you couldn't do it all and every day you felt like a failure, so you just stopped trying? So my hand is certainly raised for that one. Uh, I love what you're saying here, James, because the truth is if you can just trust that domino effect that if every day you just 1% better, just continue to choose the chicken salad, go to the gym, whatever it may be, you're not going to see it in the short term, but over the long run, really exponential results. This is something that in, in Atomic Habits, I refer to this as kind of the plateau of latent potential, you know? And the idea is that 1% improvements, they're very, they're hard to, uh, to stick with over the long run because you don't, you think that when you put, when you put effort in, you should see like a linear result for it. So the example that I give is imagine that you're in a room and it's very cold. You can see your breath and you have like an ice cube on the table. And you heat it up, it's like 25 degrees, and then 26, 27, 28, 29. Still, nothing has happened. You got that ice cube there, 30, 31. But then you go from 31 to 32 degrees, and suddenly you hit this phase transition, and the ice cube melts. And a lot of the time, making 1% improvements or building small habits is kind of like that process where you're putting effort in. You're like, I'm going to, I've gone to the gym for three months in a row, or you know, I keep making sales calls. I've been doing this for six months. Like, Why am I not seeing results yet? But in a sense, complaining about working for three months or six months or a year and not having the outcome you want is kind of like complaining about heating an ice cube from 25 to 31 degrees. Like it's not, the work was not wasted. It's just being stored. And so often you need to get through that plateau of latent potential to get to that phase transition. And it's a, I mean, it's a hallmark of any compounding process. All of the greatest returns are delayed. When you're, before you hit the hockey stick, you're just kind of in this little valley of death. And, um, and it's important to, well, one, it's important to understand that so you know what you're going through, but it can be hard and difficult when you're in the moment. And so you need to find ways to make your habits easier so that you can continue to show up on those days when it doesn't feel easy. I heard Gary, he said, sometimes we're succeeding so slowly, we feel like we're failing. Yeah, that's exactly it. But it's, the success is so slow that it feels like failure. So what do we do? We go and try to do everything else and we end up failing so slowly, we think we're succeeding. <laughs> yeah, there's a great quote by Machiavelli where he says something to the effect of, uh, men desire novelty to such a degree that even those who are doing well crave it as much as those who are doing poorly. And so it's like, you're, you're succeeding slowly, but it's so slow that you're like, oh no, I must try something new, right? There must be, there must be a faster way to get in shape or a better business idea. Um, yeah. And so then you just jump to the next thing and it just becomes this endless cycle of hopping from one strategy to the next. Yeah. So you mentioned making it easier. And I know we had talked a little bit about um, things that you can do to make your environment support your goal of forming that habit. Walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there are many ways to, to build better habits. One of my favorite strategies is what I would call environment design. And the, uh, the thing that environment design or good choice architecture uh, does is that it makes two very important phases of building a habit easier. So the first thing is you can't build a habit if you don't think about it, if you don't remember it uh, in the beginning. You know, now, of course, the goal is that you're doing it so uh, easily, so automatically that you don't have to think about it. 
But when you're establishing it, oftentimes people just forget. So as a very um, uh, personal example or easy example, for my whole life, I would brush my teeth in the morning and at night, but I would always struggle to stick with flossing consistently. And so uh, I, I say, and I think you can follow a similar process for dealing with pretty much any habit, which is you map out every little choice or action that needs to happen as part of that behavior. And so I looked at flossing and I was like, all right, what needs to occur for me to do this? So I realized I would just forget to do it a lot of the time because the floss was in the drawer in the bathroom. Like I just wouldn't see it. And so I wouldn't Mm -hmm. remember. The second thing, it sounds kind of silly, but I didn't really like the feeling of the floss wrapping around my fingers. It was just like, I don't know, it was kind of annoying. It tugged or whatever. It's uncomfortable. So what I did was I bought some of the pre-made flossers uh, and I got a little bowl and I put the bowl right next to my toothbrush and then put the flossers inside of it. So as soon as I finished brushing my teeth, put the toothbrush down, pick the flosser up, done. And that little environment change was basically all I needed. Now I've been doing it twice a day for years. uh, And all I really needed to do was just shift how the environment was shaped. You can say something similar for breaking bad habits. So for example, a lot of people will, you know, play too many video games or watch too much TV, spend too much time staring at the screen. But if you walk into pretty much any living room, where do all the couches and chairs face? Like they all face the television. So it's like, what is this room designed to get you to do? So there are varying degrees of uh, change that you could employ here. You could, for example, take a chair and move, turn it so it's not facing the television. You could take the remote control and put it inside a, you know, a coffee table or a drawer and put a book in its place. You could take the TV and put it inside like a wall unit or a cabinet so that you don't see it as often. And all of this is to try to reduce exposure. But you could also increase the friction associated with like performing the action of watching television. So you could like you could take the batteries out of the remote so that it takes an extra 10 seconds to, to get the TV started each time. And that might be just enough time for you to think, do I actually want to watch something or am I just mindlessly turning this on? Or you could unplug the TV after each use and then only plug it back in if you can say the name of the TV show that you want to watch. So again, just trying to like cut away mindless uh, browsing. And then the final option, I mean, if you really want to be extreme about it, you could take the TV off the wall and put it in the closet and only take it out if you really wanted to watch something. But the point here is that imagine if you lived in an environment where, similar to the flossing habit, the good behaviors were obvious and easy. And similar to the, the television example, the bad behaviors were less obvious or maybe even invisible sometimes. And the friction of doing those tasks was increased. You know, like uh, BJ Fogg, he's a professor at Stanford, and he uh, he's, he's written a lot of great things about habits. He has a good example, I think, that kind of encapsulates this, which is he liked eating popcorn, but he just didn't want to eat as much of it. And so he took popcorn out of his pantry, walked into the garage and put it, climbed up the ladder and put it on the highest shelf in the garage. Now, if he really wants it, he can just go out and get it. It's only going to take 60 seconds. But if he's designing the environment for his lazy decision, for his default action, he's not going to go get the popcorn. And so how can you reduce the number of steps between you and the good behaviors and increase the number of steps between you and the bad ones so that your environment is primed for better default actions? I think that's one really effective way to build better habits. Mm -hmm. I know Jay Papazan is on day 91 of a 66-day challenge to breaking the habit of Amazon one-click purchasing. Because <laughs> he goes, he finds himself just browsing and a oop, one click purchase. And so for for 91 days now, if there's something he really wants to buy on Amazon, he can put it in the cart, but then he has to close the browser. And if he really wants it, he can come back the next day and purchase it. And for 91 days, he has not just impulsively bought something on Amazon. 
Yeah, that's great. I find that um, <laughs> that almost always when I make an impulse purchase on Amazon, it's for books. And so what I've started to do is there's an option to send a free sample to your Kindle. And so Ooh. instead of buying it, I just my rule is I have to send a free sample first, and then I read a little bit of it. Which of course the same thing ends up happening, which used to happen with books, which is I would just buy them on impulse and then not get around to reading them. So now I'm just not getting around to reading the free samples, which is of course much better for my bank account. But um, I like Jay's approach there is a good one, which is that you can kind of uh, create little rules for yourself that increase the space between you and the action. So like another common Amazon one is you're allowed to buy something, but you have to wait more than 24 hours. So like I have a a friend, a reader who uh, will say like whenever he's getting ready to make a purchase, he'll say something like, can I wait one more day? Um, And so you add to the cart and then you just wait. And then, you know, you could review it at the end of each week. And what you find is half the stuff you put in there, you didn't actually want or need to begin with, Mm -hmm. but kind of felt like you wanted it in the moment. But you can do that same kind of rule setting for pretty much any habit. It doesn't just have to be finance stuff. Like one of my favorite ones is, um, is say you're drinking too much soda. You can say, well, I'm allowed to have a soda, but I'll only drink soda after I drink a glass of water. So again, you're just trying to like increase the space and you find that half the time you were just thirsty. And once you have the water, you don't really need the soda anyway. But if you want it afterward, then that's fine. Go ahead and drink it. So it's a little more, it, it, you don't have to feel as guilty about it, but it like creates enough space yeah. that you avoid the, the bad habit. Back when Gary Keller and Jay Papazan were writing The One Thing, they asked a question, what do we stand for? What do we want the experience to be like? And one of the standards that they put in place was that whatever they created, the bar for quality would be exceptionally high and that it would also be an incredible value. Meaning that when you invested in the book, you'd feel like you really got a great deal. It's part of the reason that we always look out in the world and ask who else is doing that. And we came across a company called Beckett Simonon, which is a direct-to-consumer brand changing the way premium men's shoes, bags, and belts are offered. What we loved about this company was that everything was handcrafted. It was made with quality, integrity, and sold at a reasonable retail price. They were inspired by creating a smarter way to shop and manufacture. Their whole model is to sell online only. That way you cut out all the middlemen, which saves you a tremendous amount of cost. In this case, when you're talking about men's shoes, talking about a savings of roughly $300. As a sponsor of the One Thing Podcast, I went on their website and found the shoes that I really liked. I selected my size, submitted my order, and I had this Amazing feeling knowing that they were going to be handcrafted in small batches for me. What'll be cool is to keep you guys updated as they get shipped to me and I get to try them on and wear them for the first time, which we'll cover in a future episode of the One Thing Podcast. You can look smart for a great price with Beckett Simonon shoes and accessories today. All you have to do is go to beckettshoes.com and type in the code TOT at checkout to get 20% off your order. That's B-E-C-K-E-T-T shoes.com and use coupon code T-O-T for 20% off your order. When it it comes to habit formation, Winston asked the question, if you fall off the wagon, do you have to start over? So Mm. what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, uh, so it depends on when you fall off the wagon. Um, so first of all, uh, I should just say that, uh, you know, I mean, you guys do your 66 day challenges and I've talked about, uh, habit streaks and, do, you know, staying consistent before as well. And repetition is what builds a habit. So you need to, you need to have a streak going, but the true and the honest answer is that every streak ends at some point, you know, I mean, I wrote when I was building jamesclear.com, I wrote a new article every Monday and Thursday for three years, but at some point that streak ended. And so the mantra that I like to keep in mind is never miss twice. Um, it really, it's almost never the first mistake that ruins you. It's like the spiral of repeated mistakes that follows. So um, it's really when you get locked into this like all or nothing mindset and you think, oh, you know, I fell off course with my writing habit or I binge ate with my friends. And now I'm not following the diet anymore. Guess I'm not made to do this. And so then you just use that as an excuse to not get back on track. But I think the, exactly the opposite approach is the one that's much more productive and useful in the long run. The technical scientific answer is is interesting as well, which is that if you so there there are these things called learning curves um, that researchers look at, and essentially it maps out. It's kind of like a curve uh, that starts steep in the beginning and then tapers off at the end. And when you build a habit, it looks just like that learning curve. And this is also true for memory or for learning a new skill or a fact. In the beginning, as you repeat it, uh, it, you get better and better at recalling it or doing it automatically. And then at some point, it becomes about as automatic as it's going to get. And even if you keep repeating it, it doesn't get really any easier. It's already, you're kind of at your maximum fluency or skill. However, there are also what they call forgetting curves. And um, I haven't written about this yet, but I have an article that I've been kind of putting together on it. And basically, the idea is as you are building a habit, you're crawling up that learning curve. The forgetting curve is kind of the inverse of it. So as soon as you stop doing a habit, you forget forget more of it or more of the fluency of that skill faster in the beginning. And so it drops very steeply and then it tapers off again at the at the end. So you can think of it like this. It might be interesting to think about with like a fact or a school thing. So early on, uh, you go to class and then you leave. Within an hour, you've already forgot, say, half of the things that you were told. Within another day, maybe you forget another half of that remainder. And then within two days, you forget a half of that 25% that's left. But then at some point, you've kind of like it's you've tapered off and whatever you're going to remember from that hour, you're you're not forgetting at this point. You've already it's like locked in. So I would say that habits are kind of similar in that way. Once you've built them, there maybe is a certain degree that you're not going to forget. But if you adhere to that methodology or that philosophy of never miss twice, you're going to be able to climb that curve back much more quickly and be back to your fluent self that you were before. I'll, I'll share from my personal experience. I am currently on my fourth attempt at forming the habit of thinking time. This came out of the podcast episode we did with Keith Cunningham on the the habit that cost $100 million to learn and why it was worth it. And three times. I, I mean, I got 45 days in and then just something happened. Life got in the way and I fast forward and realized a week went by and I didn't even realize it. And mm-hmm. I remember asking myself the question, did I just for forget a few days or do I really need to start over? And I, I basically realized, you know what, you got to start over. You're you're not anywhere close to this. And and now I'm on my fourth try, which today was day 14. So I'm sticking with it because it matters. But I think it's it's less about being committed to actually locking it in and making it a habit. And I think you can assess whether or not you feel like you should start over or if you earn the right to keep going. So some of this is uh, semantics to a little degree, um, but it, it can provide like an important insight into this process, which is that If we're speaking about a habit technically, a habit is a behavior that can be performed more or less automatically. Um, 
if it's something that requires effortful thought, so for example, uh, you might say something like, I want to get in the habit of writing each day. But writing is about as effortful as it gets. I mean, that it requires a lot of thinking to come up with to write something decent. So you're not, it's never just going to be done automatically. Like you're consciously thinking and deliberately thinking during the whole process. Um, so I would call those types of behaviors more like a routine or a ritual. Uh, but the key is that they can work together. So I think the the way to utilize habits is as an entry point to your rituals and routines. So if you can automate the first two minutes of the behavior, then you make it as easy as possible to get started, to get motivated, and you can do that automatically. Um, and then you just find yourself working, you find yourself typing, and then the effortful work of writing begins. But I mean, that's something I call the two-minute rule. You basically take whatever habit is that you want to build and you scale it down to just the first two minutes. And then you pour all of your energy into mastering that. And then once you've done that, then you have a lot of options. Then you can you know, continue. So, I love that because it is so aligned with the, you're thinking big, being the type of person who writes every day, has a deep thinking time block, whatever it may be. And then you're going really small. What's that? two-inch domino, that thing that I can knock over the first two minutes, that if I just did that would make the remainder of it easier or unnecessary. What's an example of how you've done that in your life? Well, so sometimes I refer to these as like decisive moments that you, and most people probably have maybe, I don't know, five or 10 that happen throughout the day. So for example, um, there's one each night. It's like around 5.15 PM. My wife will get home from work and there's this decisive moment where either we change into our workout clothes and we go to the gym or we sit on the couch and watch the office or order takeout or something. And <laughs> it's really about what happens in those first two minutes that determine the next like two hours. If we change into our workout clothes, like everything else is already decided. We're going to drive to the gym. I'll get under the bar. We'll do the workout like that. It all is just going to happen. So it's really about that decisive moment. There's another one for me in the morning where like I'll go down to my office and I'll, I'll either open up Evernote and start writing the, the next article that I'm working on. Or I'll go to ESPN and check sports news for the next like 45 minutes. And what happens over that next hour is really about what happens in the first like two minutes of, of me sitting down. So what I like to keep in mind with that is you don't actually... There's not actually that much to master. Um, it's really just about mastering that decisive moment or those first two minutes. So some of the things that, uh, that I like to recommend are sometimes this will... I guess I should say from a from a high level, people have heard stuff like this before, right? They've heard like, oh, you should start small or something like that. But even when you know that you should start small, it's still very easy to start too big. You know, like you you might say something like, okay, I, I want to go for a run. I want to start running three days a week. I want to build a habit of running. But uh, I know that I should start small, so I'm only going to run for 15 minutes. But even that is actually way too big. Um, what I'm talking about is you scale it down to those first two minutes, you tie your running shoes and you step out the door and that's the habit. And if anything else happens after that, then it's just a bonus. And that sounds silly to people, uh, at the start because they're like, well, obviously this is a mental trick, right? Like I know the real goal isn't to run, just put my running shoes on. I know the real goal is to go for a run. But if you feel that way, my suggestion would be to limit yourself to only be able to do that. So for example, um, I had a reader, he ended up losing over hundred pounds. And one of the ways that he did it was that he went to the gym, but he set a rule for himself where he wasn't allowed to stay for longer than five minutes. So he would show up, he'd go to the gym, he did this for like six straight weeks. Um, he'd do an exercise or so, and then it'd get to be five minutes and he would leave. And it's the exact opposite of how most people try to get in shape. 
But what he was doing, what you realize about it, is that he's mastering the art of showing up. And the, the key thing about a habit is that it has to be established before it can be improved. If you don't have, if you don't optimize like for the starting line and show up each day, if you don't master the art of showing up, there's nothing to optimize. There's nothing to, to go from from there. So most people, they get really motivated and they decide to join a CrossFit gym or do P90X or Insanity or some crazy thing. And they do that for a few days or a couple of weeks and then they burn out. And then, you know, they wait three more months until the cycle repeats itself again. But he was saying, all right, how do I become the type of person that shows up at the gym every day? And now it's like, well, I know I'm going to be here, so I might as well start doing something a little better. The other thing that scaling a habit down to those first two minutes does, which is really helpful, is that there are all these logistical details associated with building a habit that nobody thinks about. Whenever, when you start building a habit, everybody thinks about the outcome. They think like, all right, I want to lose 20 pounds in the next six months, or I want to earn six figures next year, or I want to write a best-selling book or learn a language or whatever. It's all about the result. But there are all these details associated with getting to that final outcome that people overlook. So like if you take my reader example of going to the um, going to the gym, okay, great, you want to work out. What gym will you go to? What time will you go there? Will you go before or after work? What route are you going to take? Are you going to meet a friend there or are you going to go on your own? Do they have a water fountain at the gym or do you need to bring a water bottle? Um, do you have to get your clothes together before you go to the gym and pack your gym bag? Or can you come home and then change? And like... Some of those things sound silly, but the difference between, oh, I always forget to bring my water bottle and they don't have a water fountain there. Like that's, that's enough to get people to quit sometimes. And if you're just focused on the first two minutes um, and mastering the art of showing up, then you get to figure all that stuff out. And then once you figure it out and you're not intimidated by it anymore, then you have the chance to improve and expand and upgrade from there. Yeah. How many people who are listening to this, have you ever been in the situation where you really wanted to make a change. You really wanted to establish that habit. And you simply set the bar too high. I'm gonna, I'm gonna exercise for an hour every single day and you do 40 minutes. How do you feel? You missed your goal. You probably feel like a failure. And the next day you do 45 minutes, you feel like a failure. The next day you do 50, you feel like a failure. The next day you do 30, you feel like a failure. And what we find is that people only allow themselves to feel like a failure for so long before they rewrite the rules of the game so they don't feel like a failure, usually by quitting or by just lowering the goal. And so how can you give yourself permission from the front end, like James is talking about, that, 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 that first two minutes just to get started, we'll call it a two-inch domino that you can knock over. Sure, putting on your shoes and tying your laces and getting out the door is not that single thing alone will not give you washboard abs. Yet does it make going for a run easier? Sure does. And that's what we're talking about. Those little 1% over time that lead to extraordinary results. Well, there you have it. The first half of our interview with author of Atomic Habits, James Clear. If you would like to hear the entire interview and there's a video to go with it, go to the one thing.com. That's with the number one in the URL. Click on the webinar page because during the second half, we dive into very specifically how you can establish a system for creating good habits and breaking bad habits. You can learn more about it there. If you would like to go on your own 66-day challenge to forming a habit, which is a system for holding your hand over 66 days, which is how long it takes to form a habit, you 
can go to theonething.com, click on free stuff and download a 66-day challenge calendar. That way you can track your progress every single day. Another option is to get the One Thing Planner, which will be out later this year. You can do that by going to theonething.com slash planner. You can get a PDF version of it right now today as we are in the production phase. And once it is out in the public, you will be able to get it there as well. Theonething.com slash planner. Thank you again for listening to The One Thing Podcast. It means the world that you continue to join us. And we hope that you will share this with at least one person that you know could really benefit from building habits that could transform their entire life. Thank you so much. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.